power on. You look like you could use a drink. Yes. Yes, thanks. Eddie Barzoon, Eddie Barzoon. <laughs> oh, I nursed him through two divorces, a cocaine rehab, and a pregnant receptionist. <laughs> God's creature, right? God's special creature? <laughs> and I've warned him, Kevin. I've warned him every step of the way. Watching him bounce around like a fucking game, like a wind-up toy. Like 250 pounds of self-serving greed on wheels. The next thousand years is right around the corner, Kevin. And Eddie Barzoom, take a good look. Excuse me. Because he's the poster child for the next millennium. These people, it's no mystery where they come from. You sharpen the human appetite to the point where it can split atoms with its desire. You build egos the size of cathedrals, fiber optically connect the world to every eager impulse, <laughs> grease even the dullest dreams with these dollar green, gold-plated fantasies until every human becomes an aspiring emperor, becomes his own god. And where can you go from there? Hey, wrong way. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you. And as we're scrambling from one deal to the next, who's got his eye on the planet? As the air thickens, the water sours. Even the bee's honey takes on the metallic taste of radioactivity. And it just keeps coming. Faster and faster. There's no chance to think, to prepare. It's five futures, sell futures, when there is no future. We got a runaway train, boy. We got a billion Eddie Barzoons all jogging into the future. Every one of them getting ready to fist fuck God's ex-planet, lick their fingers clean as they reach out toward their pristine kybernetic keyboards to tote up their fucking billable hours. And then it hits home. You gotta pay your own way, Eddie. It's a little late in the game to buy out now. Your belly's too full, your dick is sore, your eyes are bloodshot, and you're screaming for someone to help. Guess what? There's no one there! You're all alone, Eddie. You're God's special little creature. Maybe it's true. Maybe God threw the dice once too often. Maybe he let us all down. Earth 2019. Dominant species, human. Galactic potential rating, zero. Cultural affiliation. Combination of government and global businesses, corporatism, legacy institution. Species still conservative, superstitious, and religious. Ecologically illiterate, largely unaware of cosmological foundation of love. Level of technological dependence is disturbingly higher than the galactic standard. Species distracted and behavior controlled by technology companies. System error. Advanced concepts detected beyond normal human levels. New galactic potential rating, over 9000. Transmission type, podcast. Host, The Man of Tomorrow. Brian Sovereign. Source, Sovereign Tech.
just coming off of fixing my Jeep, baby. <laughs> no, really, I was. Oh, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, is ready to get into the... Well, we've got a lot to get into uh, this week. Actually, you're going to be getting another double load. Might even be a triple load, which means, of course, you're going to be getting three episodes of Sovereign Tech back to back. There's so much to cover, so much to talk about, and want to make sure you get all the Sovereign Tech that you're used to getting. So... Yeah, so expect another, at least one more Sovereign Tech after today, and then you'll be getting another one after that. Can you get enough of me? Well, if you can't, you're going to get plenty. <laughs> oh, hell. Anyway, you know, I'm debating on where to where to open this one up with. Um, we got some follow-up to get into from uh, very recent episodes of Sovereign Tech. Uh, actually, some great, great listener comments um, that I do want to dive into uh, that I think create an important conversation to be had and conversations that we're continuing from if you are a member of the Zomia One Underground, which, of course, you go to Zomia1.com and you can sign up for that uh, and you get access for, well, there's a bunch of different pricing tiers, but you're going to get access to thousands of hours of original content, new content every week. No matter which way you go. Okay. So, you know, the, the more you want to, you want to give, uh, that's very kind of you, but rock and roll, check it out, zomia1.com and get your hook up there. Now, you know what? Let's just start it off. Let's start it off with, of course, what everybody's talking about right now. Uh, of course, just a couple of days ago, we're in September 2019. It's technically September 21st. Um, just a couple of days ago, iOS 13 came out. And of course, iOS 13, while those who do not have the latest iPhone, that being the iPhone 11 Pro or the iPhone 11 or the iPhone 11 Pro Max, three models now, uh, <laughs> giving you the illusion of choice. And it is an illusion, just like security on these damn things. But we'll be talking about that later when we talk about SimJacker. Oh, yes. Uh, but regardless... Uh, maybe if you have, you know, a slightly older uh, and more expensive than the latest, which is <laughs> so damned ironic, uh, iPhone, iOS 13 is out there. Yeah, it's more secure. It's more, uh, I don't know, it's faster, it has dark mode. Yee-hoo! And uh, apparently this is what's going to allow for, or one of the things that's going to allow for, slow fees. You don't know what that is? I wish I didn't. Uh, but whatever, we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, so, yeah, iOS 13 came out and, of course, it's coming pre-installed. If you did get uh, at the recent Apple event, which there's some conversation of what was talked about at the Apple event, like Apple Arcade, that we will be discussing on the Gaming Grid, uh, which is another show that I do on Zomia One. I uh, got a big one to get into this uh, this month because I also have the Nintendo Switch Lite and a lot of other reviews to do. But anyway... Uh, yeah, so we'll save some of that for that conversation. There were some little updates to iPads and everything at this Apple event that occurred in September. Of course, this is a yearly thing now. I mean, it just, it happens all the time. There's a conversation to have around that as well, but let's talk about the latest and fucking greatest iPhone that's ever been made. Woo! The iPhone 11, uh, specifically now the iPhone 11 here, here's, here are the main differences. Now there's some differences in, the, all of them have the same new Apple A13 Bionic processor in them, okay? The, the iPhone 11, the 11 Pro, and the 11 Pro Max all have the same uh, processor. 
Now, the A13 Bionic, you can look at some kind of metric. You know, their, their metrics are such bullshit. They don't even tell you what exactly they're comparing and what tests that they're running when they compare it to their competitors, like to, you know, the Galaxy phones, whatever else. But whatever, Apple being funny and a little dishonest with their... I mean, they're not the only companies that do that with, with their, you know, benches and metrics, but, you know, their benchmarks, but whatever. Anyway, so the A13 Bionic, I mean... You can tell me, you can email me and let me know that, I don't know, I guess the A12 Bionic from last year somehow just, that just wasn't fast enough. You know, like you, you looked at your, I don't know, whatever, your, uh, which, what, what came in? Not the XR. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. The iPhone XR. You can look at your iPhone XR or the XS. And I mean, go ahead, email me, bbs at sovereigntech.com. Tell me all about it. Tell me how you were, you were thinking to yourself, man, this just isn't fucking snappy enough. I, I want that email. Okay. And, and believe me, I've had Sovereign Tech listeners in the past email me or leave a comment on the episode, you know, say in the Podbean app or whatever. I've had where, where they've contacted me and they've said, well, no, this is where I think that this is actually going to be helpful, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes I feel like, okay, I can see that. Like there is that niche that exists that would be interested in that. So not to say that I'm wrong, but you can effectively prove yourself right to me. If you actually feel like, yeah, shit, I needed a more powerful processor this year. I, I mean, I really, it was, it was just, you know. I was just waiting. Now, granted, with any, and we're going to get into maybe the other major feature set, and you're going to know what I'm talking about. We're going to talk about cameras because, we, and oh, I guess they added on some extra battery life, which finally fucking companies are saying, okay, yeah, we're going to give you better battery, and they're not selling you on the thinner, lighter horseshit anymore. Finally, that's starting to happen. Outside of that, okay, uh, I mean, that, that definitely getting better battery life, there's no doubt that is responding to what I think is genuine consumer demand and was baffling to me for years as to why this is what everybody's asking for. Nobody's asking for thinner and lighter. Nobody is asking for the bezels to go away. People are asking for better battery life. And finally, it seems like Apple is giving that, especially with the uh, Pro 11 Max, which they are claiming to be all-day battery. What that means, you know, what does all-day battery actually mean? Uh, well, anyway, that's that's for you to decide whether or not that even works for you. Now, I guess I just want to say quickly with this, okay? The idea of buying a new phone every year, and arguably, Apple is trying to get you to upgrade every year. Of course, that's part of the reason that they created that rent-seeking program. I mean, that um, monthly payment program where you never actually own an iPhone. You can just constantly, like, send it back in. You pay a monthly fee, and you send in, and you can end up getting the new one. And I don't know, I guess maybe the fee goes up a little bit, whatever. I'm not exactly sure how that works. But I think that's preposterous, uh, though. I guess the idea of people actually owning their shit, owning their kit or their devices or their movies or their music or whatever. Um, I mean, I don't know. Apparently, Americans have all turned into communists because uh, I don't see any. I see people jumping on board with these things. And this concept of like actually owning stuff seems to be going the way of the dodo. OK, I guess it's if that's what the market says, uh, even though I think people would find an irony in the idea that the market says communism. But all right. But while I would wish that maybe the idea is 
is that while and well, this kind of disproves this notion because I've I've had this conversation with people with Apple fans. In fact, uh, I mean, in Samsung Galaxy fans can be just as bad where, you know, they get the S9 and they're like, holy fuck, I got to get the S10. I have to get the S10. It's like, oh, and why? Like, what, what, what does it do that much better? Now we're going to talk about, we got to talk about cameras because that's, that's the seller here, supposedly with the, with the new iPhone. And I've had people say to me, well, they're not really every year, these yearly releases, they're not marketing to say like for the S10 or in this case, the iPhone, let's stick with the iPhone with the iPhone 11. They're not marketing to the people that bought the XR. They're marketing to the people that still have the iPhone six. Okay, because to Apple's credit, and I mean, I'll give them credit, like they build their shit to last. Okay, and which is more mind boggling why there's a new model every year. If you make your shit to last, then why do you have to come out with a new model every year when you could just make the same great one for however long? I I know, I know, or at least I have an idea of some of the reasons around that, but that's part of my problem here. Okay, but I I get I've heard people make that argument to me that that's really who they're selling to. Um, but I don't think so because the bulk of the articles written whenever these, I mean, you go to nine to five Mac, you go to all these different, uh, you know, tech news sites or just news sites that will bother to cover, you know, I mean, and an iPhone releases has been a big deal for over 10 years now, you know, since oh seven, since the first one came out, um, the articles will basically be written. Should you upgrade from the XR to the 11 pro or to the 11 or whatever. So clearly, and, and I think also Apple's numbers, their spreadsheets, which they won't share with us anymore, uh, because they know that it looks bad for investors, but their spreadsheets used to be based around like just yearly balls out iPhone sales. And they were effectively expecting by their own projections, they were expecting everybody that bought an iPhone last year to buy an iPhone this year. And I mean, that's not like a crazy thing because for a while that was happening, you know, from the iPhone four to the iPhone five and the five S or whatever, people were jumping, you know, were jumping on, uh, these iterative releases. Okay. And so, but I mean, it's not happening anymore. Part of that is, is that, well, again, I think we've long ago reached peak smartphone on what they can actually do, but I want to revisit this point in a minute. So basically the, the main seller here, now there's the battery life thing, which, okay, great. I'm glad that there's better battery life. Um, I don't know if that's enough of a seller for me to go from like the latest iPhone to this one. I mean, I'm in the Android space anyway, but you get my point and believe me, I'll be just as critical about any Android phone in any Android company uh, or any, you know, uh, a manufacturer of Android phones. I'll be just as critical. They're just as bad as Apple. I'm not, not playing favorites here. Okay. So the big deal with the iPhone 11 is the camera. Uh, the iPhone 11 specifically has a, I mean, there's different screen sizes, right? The 11 is a 6.1 inch screen. I mean, we can get into all that. And then we get into more of the uh, super retina displays with the 11 pro, which is a 5.8 inch screen. And then the pro max, which is a 6.5 inch screen, which is basically a fucking tablet. Um, you know, it's why they call them phablets, but all of that aside, it's the cameras. That's, that's the big deal that I think a lot of people are jumping on here. And that is any kind of actual differentiator, but is it? So the dual camera on the, on the iPhone 11, and then the triple camera, there are three cameras on the iPhone 11 pro and pro max. 
three. Now, the argument here for why there are three cameras, okay, is that this allows for, there's a, so, there's a lot of software action going on. I mean, it allows for better night mode, but there's a lot of software action going on where it's effectively taking these multiple pictures and it puts them together to create like a super picture, right? Like that's basically the argument. Now I want to get into some of the, I mean, there, there are people who have very real concerns around these multi-cameras, okay? Uh, like, well, actually, I'll just say quickly what, what one of them is, is that people are freaking out over, was it tryptophobia? Is that what they call it? Where... Oh, I'm trying to think what the hell, like tryptophobia. It's basically where you don't like irregular patterns, right? Or you don't like clusters of small little holes and bumps. Like these are people who touch uh, like, like grippy gloves and they freak the fuck out, you know, cause they have all those little bumps on them. Now, I don't think that's considered like an official mental condition, but there's plenty of people who talk about having it. And so, you know, I'm not going to judge on that, but they are flipping out because, you know, they're reaching in the back and they're feeling these three bumps of these three cameras and they're like, holy shit, you know, and it skews them out like a, like a spider crawling on their skin or something. I mean, there's that, whatever. I mean, people complain about whatever the fuck they want to complain about. I mean, I, I, I want to be respectful if somebody has a real problem with that. Just like, I mean, I've known people who, you know, have bozophobia, right? Like literally where they're terrified of clowns. And I mean, I, I, you can laugh at them. I think it's, I mean, they get really terrified and I think it's something to be taken seriously, but regardless of that, okay, I'm not going to knock Apple on that one. That's, that's not, you know, I, I don't know. I'm amazed they didn't think about that, you know, especially when they're so big about design and having, you know, like very clean lines and design cues, but whatever that that's, that's in my opinion, that part's neither here nor there. Um, but with the three camera setup, okay. We'll talk about the slow fees in a second. Here's my question to you. If you have an iPhone XR, and I know many of my listeners do hell, if you have an iPhone six, Go back as far as you want. Now, I can go to Apple's website, and I can see the contrast and compare. Okay, I can see the side-by-side. This is the picture with the iPhone XR. This is the picture with the uh, 11 Pro Max. And I can see that the Pro Max, by their setup, you know, looks, oh, the colors are are much richer. Oh, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this. I just want you not, don't buy into any marketing or whatever. First off, like it would be very interesting. I'm not saying that there isn't like a genuine difference in, in resolution and pixels. Okay. But I would be very interested to like do a, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, a blind test of some kind where you don't tell anybody where the pictures, like what phone took them or whatever and ask them, okay, which one's the XR and which one's the 11. And even if they could see a really see a difference, because of course on their website, they're going to give you best case examples, right? And part of the trick also is that now you have this super retina display on the Pro Max, and that display is also allowing for the pictures to look better to some degree, right? I'm not saying that, that Apple's lying, but I think there's a lot of trickery going on. But in, at the end of the day, I, I just, I want somebody to seriously say to me, you know, just like with, just like I was talking about with the, the A12 and the A13 processors and comparing those. I just, I want somebody to say to me, yeah, you know, I'm just really not pleased with these pictures. I mean, and I know some people who, granted, I'm not a person who's big on taking pictures. And we're, we're going to talk about this too. 
you know, I know people who are really, you know, they, they take their photography very seriously and all this, you know, they're really on it and they have been for, for a good while. Okay. Or maybe they're really big into, I don't know, taking selfies and blah, 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 whatever the fuck they do. I don't think I've ever really heard from them where they've said to me, ah, you know, just on the whole, these pictures really suck. Like I am really, really disappointed. Like, you know, just, just 20, I don't know, 50, 75 megapixels. It's just not fucking enough. You know, I, I, I mean, I, w- I want to sit next to this person. And we talked about this recently when Samsung was announcing they're going to have their 108 megapixel cameras or whatever the fuck the number was. I want to sit next to this person who's just like saying, I can't wait for the day when we're doing, when, when my phone has six cameras on the back, it's a thousand megapixels because until that day, my pictures look like shit. I want to experience that person. I want to sit next to them. And then at the risk of getting into their personal space, even though, as I've said on some episodes, you might, you might've heard me uh, on Zomi one underground episodes talking about how the world dies from lack of touch. I want to just like touch their face because I need to know that that person actually exists and that they're real. And I, I, I that it's not just some kind of, I don't know, automaton. We're going to talk about those in a few minutes. It's not just some automaton that Apple programmed to walk around or that Samsung had walk around. Are the pictures really that bad? Are you really like, like, I, I don't know. I, I've been following, who are some of the Trey? I, I can't think of his name. I follow some of these photographers. I've, I had, I've, I have over the years and I see the most gorgeous, stunning, rich. I mean, beautiful. I, I don't even know how the pictures could really get better nor do I even need them to is part of my point. But I, you know, I just stare and I'm just in awe as a human should be when it encounters, when it sees these gorgeous pictures of nature. And those pictures were taken with like a Galaxy S3 or hell, an iPhone 4. How much better does it really need to get? It, it all seems very strange to me. Like this is pure marketing horseshit. And, you know, maybe the worst part of this. Okay, so now the other thing that Apple showed off, and this is a software trick. This might not be the worst part of it. I have more to say on this. We're probably going to bump a ton of stories because, the, God damn it, this needs to get out. Somebody out there has to say this shit. The, the, the part that... <laughs> slow fees, okay? This is a thing now. Or Apple's trying to make it a thing. By the way, oh, another quick thing before I talk about slow fees. Oh, 3D Touch is dead. <laughs> Wait, I thought 3D Touch... Oh, this is the future. I mean, which was basically... Apple caving into the need for more buttons than just the one button. And it was them caving into the right click more or less. Right. <laughs> 3d. Yeah. Now it's that haptic touch. Right. Um, but 3d touch is dead so much for that fucking feature. Oh, again, Apple telling you, yo, this is what you need as if you don't know. And that's part of the problem is somebody has to, if somebody has to tell you, Okay, and then it's not like they're telling you because you have some kind of problem. If they have to tell you you don't have a problem, you should automatically know I don't need this, nor do I even really want it. Because if you want it, it's gonna if you intrinsically want it, it's gonna come from the inside. Okay, fine, whatever. Anyway, that's nature of sales. I understand that. I've been a salesperson, I know the score. Um, not proud of it, but whatever. Okay. Slow fees. This is the new thing. Okay, I, I guess I don't know. What were those like 
they're basically GIFs, but they're mini video files. Did those take off? Are, are anybody really using those? Remember that was that was a big deal. Was that was that with the the iPhone uh, uh, 10 or iPhone X? Yeah, I think that was that. I, somehow I feel like that's that too. So slow fees are now this new technology or new software, basically. But you know the the triple cameras, the dual cameras, and all this you know make it really work or, or make it pop, I guess allows you to take a slow motion selfie. And that's why it's called a slow fee, slow fee, slow motion selfie. This is not something for, you know, a model on her oil of Olay commercial or on a trace of a commercial or something like that. This is something for the mass consumer. This is a selling point. This is to get you to want more of these cameras, to want this new phone, to want an iPhone. Maybe if you're not convinced and you're still on Android or something, this is the purpose. This is what, this is the marketing. This is the purpose of this. What self-absorbed and look, we all do things from enlightened self-interest. Okay. Don't confuse me. I'm, I'm aware of that. But I'm not talking about acting from self-interest, okay? I'm talking about being, like, self-absorbed. What self-absorbed, celebrity, lifestyle-obsessed... I could use a really, really ugly word. I'm just going to say... Here, I'll put it this way. Who the fuck do you think you are? Like... <laughs> I am the most amazing being. Yeah, I'm not speaking for me. I am the most amazing being in the universe. I should be. I should be seen in slow motion at all times by my millions of followers on Instagram. Blah blah blah. I mean, is this what runs through people's heads? I mean, that's you know. Look, it'd be. It's one thing if this was some like stupid trick in a viewfinder that cost you twenty dollars. These phones, to do this shit kind of right, you know, with 4K, so you can, you know, taste the brain matter and everything, right? I mean, these things end up costing anywhere from a grand. I know the iPhone 11 starts at what, like, like uh, 700, and people are flipping out about that because the cheapest iPhone last year was already more than that. And so they're like, oh, the most advanced one costs less than my XR last year? What the fuck? Again, that just proves the point that people, yes, they do upgrade their phones every year. But I, I have more I want to say about that, but let us continue with the slow fees. This is this parlor trick costs you a thousand dollars on average, if not fifteen hundred. To say nothing of what it costs, you know, for the server space of where the fuck you're even going to share these things and all that other stuff. I mean, that that's a that's a whole other thing, especially since a lot of these people are probably like, you know, they they think they're really green, right? They're really environmentalists and they're environmentally conscious and everything. And I guess they don't give a rat shit about all this 4K video and these high def pictures and their slow fees that are running servers that, by their terms, are polluting the fuck out of the planet. I, Okay. Priorities. But this is just feeding this celebrity obsession. Now, look, I don't even want celebrities to be celebrities. You understand? Like, I don't, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> I mean, I've had, you know, actors that I appreciate their work. In fact, we're going to talk about Star Trek, the motion picture later. Huge fan. William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, you know, and all these people. And I'm glad that they're in my life. I don't. But look, I don't care if we lived in a world where the idea of there being celebrities just wasn't even like a concept. It wasn't even an idea. So don't confuse me. But like the idea that somehow, I mean, do, do you see what I'm saying here? We are not all celebrities. We are not the, I'm going to sound like something out of Fight Club, you know, all singing, all dancing crap of the world or something. I mean, we're not, who are we that we need that we're so goddamn important and we're so fucking amazing that, oh, we need slow feet of ourselves. And again, you can say, well, it's just for fun, Stallion. Okay, but then it shouldn't cost $1,500. I mean, I'll be the first to say that all, everybody, all life is precious and special. And people that know my, my ideology and philosophies around this, you know, you know how on board I am with that. Okay. But this idea that somehow everybody like should be in the limelight and shining up, you know, to be something like a celebrity where, you, you know, you get all this. Uh, fame and fortune. I mean, and, and fuck, ask most celebrities and they'll tell you they wouldn't even want the fame and fortune if you knew what it took to get it. Like that nobody would want it, right? We talked about that. What was the episode? Um, it was the episode on live in obscurity, right? And this is part of the problem. Is this, like, we're never going to have, this is a major part of this, okay? There's, there's, I mean, it's one thing to deal with these lifestyle obsession of everybody wants to be a fucking celebrity. There's the problem there. But understand that if privacy matters to you, we're never going to have privacy if we live in this culture that is fucking obsessed with itself, constantly sharing pictures of itself, making everybody think that, that their own fucking God. I mean, frankly, I think that if you're actually doing a engaging in a life that is picture worthy, you don't have time to take the pictures. Sure as fuck don't have time for a slofie. This is, this is unbelievable. You know, I hear from so many people because I have, I have some listeners who are more on the right side of things and they talk about entitlement culture and all this stuff. You're fucking funding it. If you're thinking that, oh yeah, oh, all these cameras on these iPhones are great and everything. I mean, this is funding that entitlement culture and this is pushing it to incredible extremes. I am the most important being in the universe I am going to take a slow fee. Oh, if, if I have to live in a world where everybody fucking grows up and everybody, you know, just has this belief that everyone's a fucking movie star. What the fuck? So these slow fees are ridiculous. But now, you know, I actually want to go in another direction here. I have something else that I, that this all kind of points at. So earlier today, I said this at the top of the episode, I was working on my Jeep. Okay. I got a 2007, uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee, triple black, beautiful car. Very gracious to, uh, to the person, uh, you know, that, that hooked me up for, with it. The, so what ends up happening? And I've complained about these before. I'm not going to, I'm going to try and not get into a big diatribe about cars. Okay. And people know how much I hate modern cars. A, they're, they're literally death machines, as in I think that they can be controlled remotely, but whatever. Um, and I think there's journalists where, mm -hmm, 
that aren't with us anymore that I wonder why their tree or why their car ran into a tree. But another conversation for another time, a conversation we've already had over the years, whatever. Anyway, that said, I have a 2007 Jeep Granger. The bane of anybody who actually knows how to fix their cars. I am one of those people. Okay. And I'm a big fan of classic cars, partly for the very reason it has nothing to do with the power. No, I don't like that they suck down so much gas. I'm not here to fund Saudi Arabia, okay? Um, even though a lot of American gas actually comes from Canada. But regardless, I'm not about that, okay? I don't like that. I don't like any of this shit. I mean, I, you know, please, give me a hovercraft. You know, I'm, I'm all about getting ready for the future and all this stuff. I'll take a jetpack, thank you. Whatever, okay? I like older cars because I can fix them. Because I can work on them. Because if you can fix the thing... You, you control a thing, and I like having control over that which I own. I don't like it being handed off to supposed experts or repairmen or whatever elsewhere. I like to do my own shit. Anyway, um, I was working on this. What ended up going bad on it, again, this is the bane of the existence of anybody that works on their own cars, the O2 sensor, the one of the oxygen sensors, because this thing has like four of them, went bad. There's nothing wrong with the car. The car's great. The car's beautiful. Okay, the Jeep drives, I mean, drives like a dream. The O2 sensor goes bad. But because the O2 sensor is bad, it's the mixture of fuel and everything that and exhaust, you know, that, that's going on, like it's too rich. And so then the car starts to run funny. There's no real reason for the car to run funny other than the O2 sensor is failing. There's not, the car's not failing. The actual function is fine. It's that the O2 sensor is failing. This can make your car rattle. I mean, it, it can be a very ugly thing. You could probably drive it forever whether your check engine light comes on, but this, this goes on. So I'm trying to work on this, okay, and trying to replace this O2 sensor. And these O2 sensors go bad. You know, anytime you get above 100,000 miles on a car, frankly, it'll, it'll start to happen. Sometimes they're easier to get at than others. It's all part of the exhaust system. You know, some are near the catalytic converters. Anyway, it, 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 it depends on what, what, what you have to fix. So I'm getting at this thing, and I'm trying to, I mean, I'm putting PV Blaster on and everything to try and, you know, get it off of there. Because uh, this Jeep has uh, about 160,000 miles on it. Again, it's gorgeous, though. And I can't get this fucking thing to break for anything. And I can't get a breaker bar up there successfully. Like, I mean, it's, it's because it's up above, okay, you know, the, the, the exhaust uh, above a bunch of the pipes for the muffler. Now they could just as easily have had that pointed at an angle. Okay. Like they, they could have these, these O2 sensors point at an angle where you could easily just get a wrench there and you could, you know, go ahead and unscrew them. No problem. And away you go and you're done, but they don't. Because they don't, and you could say, oh, well, this just makes it more efficient, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't buy any of that crap for a second, and I don't. They do this so that you can't work on your car, so that eventually you have to buy a new car. Because if they were making cars to last, if they were making things to last, A, and here's rub number one, okay, I don't think that they would... I mean, just, just consider this, like, just like with smartphones, and this is why I bring this up, just like with smartphones, where you're getting a new model every year. 
with cars. I mean, and fuck, forget about, you know, you, you see the I, the I fix it break teardowns of these phones and just, you know, you're never going to do that. And, and of course they are at a cost, unlike cars, phones are at a cost where, well, I mean, if it's an iPhone, maybe not so much. If it's an Android phone, they're often at a cost where they could be even sub 200, hell, even sub $100. And it is cheaper to just buy a new phone. Okay. But with iPhones, that's not the case regardless. Okay. You get a new model, like I have an 07 Jeep Grand Cherokee. There's an 08 Jeep Grand Cherokee. There's an 09 Jeep Grand Cherokee. There's a new, there's new Grand Cherokees coming out every year. Why? Like there's, and, and we know by, by the numbers, we know that they never, they don't even come remotely close to selling every single one of those cars that they produce every single year. There aren't, there aren't, I don't even think there's enough people. To really like like buy them all. I mean, they're sure they're sure as fuck aren't enough isn't enough uh, parking lot space, garage space. Even though I'm sure there's plenty of people that want to solve that issue. This is so. There's so many parts of the economy that are so fucking off. Okay, like this idea that oh every year there needs to be this oh it has this feature it has oh now this has Bluetooth in it blah 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 I mean like these constant iterations year by year for these yearly releases of these things does there really need to be like a new model I mean my point being here overall is that I think and it doesn't matter the met the number let's just say it's high I'll say most, because I was going to say 90% of the marketplace, but I'm going to say most of the marketplace today, as it exists today, does not exist. Okay, and this is why I get very skeptical about like a lot of market mechanisms, especially when you talk about in a more open, uh, what would you call it, like a white market as compared to gray markets or black markets. Most of the marketplace today exists not I mean, yes, it is to sell you shit, and it's often to, and I, I don't mean, I, I'm not getting into like that, oh, nobody should have anything pretty or nice because you don't really need it, everything should be utilitarian. That's not what I'm saying. But most of the marketplace exists simply to create jobs and to keep jobs. It does not exist to deliver something beneficial to the consumer or that is, that, that is pro-consumer. The marketplace is not pro-consumer today. We've been hitting at this a lot, but we got to drive more aspects of this home, okay? A lot of this stuff, these constant iterative releases, I mean, in all these updates and, okay, oh, this year we're going to make it green, this year we're going to make it this. I mean, the same thing, like, what's that horseshit going around? The Green New Deal? I'm so disappointed by this for a bunch of reasons. I mean, first off, I'm an anarchist and fuck political solutions, but... Regardless, Jeremy Rifkin, who's a, an author I generally like, um, he's now getting really on board with this Green New Deal. Folks, the Green New Deal, this idea that, okay, we're going to go into cities, going to tear down a bunch of building and uh, buildings and build completely new ones uh, to, you know, make them more environmentally friendly and all that. And I am all about ecology. I am all about, you know, environmentally friendly stuff. Believe me, I am so, and I have been consistently for the entirety of the seven to eight year run of Sovereign Tech. I am so on board with that. Do not confuse what I am saying here. But if you cannot see that the Green New Deal is a, is completely about one thing, and that one thing is just creating jobs. If you can't see that, well, on Batman Day, which today I think is like, I don't know, international or national Batman day or whatever, you're blind as a bat. 
And I think that a lot of these iterative releases, all this stuff, it is merely for one purpose. It is just to create jobs. It is not to create something pro-consumer. Yes, they want you to buy this shit so that the jobs are funded, but that doesn't mean that what you're getting, what's getting schlepped off to you is in any way pro-consumer. It's pro-corporation. It's pro, well, corporatism, you know, where you have corporations and governments working together and everything. I mean, it's, this is crazy. For a long time, and it's sad, because part of the reason that so much money was made in the especially personal computing space, which one could argue smartphones are a part of, is because it did, it was very pro-consumer. There were genuine, you know, large leaps in technological ability that had actual use cases for the consumer. And that's really it, is that where is the consumer usefulness in so much of what's talked about? I mean, they can come up with all the numbers that they want, but again, you know, and this isn't a utilitarian argument. No, really. Show me the consumer who said the A12 Bionic processor wasn't good enough. My pictures were not good enough. Go down the fucking list. Tell me that, find me the person that said that. And then I will say, okay, fine. Your iPhone 11 had consumer usefulness. It doesn't. Now, maybe it feeds a niche market of people who, you know, are only, okay, are only concerned with, you know, like they're really into photography and they use their their iPhone like as their primary camera and all this. Maybe there's that. Now, there's the problem of people having a celebrity lifestyle obsession, okay? But if it was just to serve that niche, then you wouldn't be banking your whole company on these major releases because you would know that you're only serving a very small sample of the population. But that's not what you're doing. You want this. You want everybody to have this. So you can't, you can say, well, this niche would find useful. Okay, great. But then that's just a niche. And then Apple should be marketing to them and not to fucking everybody that everybody should have an iPhone 11. And then you have all these, you know, fucking, and I'll say this straight, all these fucking losers who, if you pull out, if, if you, you know, message them on iMessage and, uh, and, and, and if you have the, if you don't have a blue bubble, if you have a blue bubble instead of the green or whichever direction that that goes, um, you know, they're, they're not going to talk to you anymore. Like, you, oh, you don't even have an iPhone. What kind of a scumbag are you? Those people exist. And that's part more of that celebrity lifestyle obsession. And Apple just like feeds into that more and more and more. And, oh, I just, I, I, I think this is nuts. In these yearly release cycles. No, no, I'm sorry. There's, there's, there's no benefit to this. No, there's not like fine. You know, for, for four or five years, you know, I mean, keep making the iPhone six. Okay. Maybe in a few years, you'll have a genuine new development that people should upgrade to, but that's not what they're schlepping. And you can't say, well, they're not expecting everybody to do iterative jumps. Yes, they are. That is exactly what they're banking on. And that's exactly what the tech press is expecting. That's why they write articles about it. But again, I feel like this speaks to, I mean, the marketplace is such a fucking mess right now. And it's not even because the government's involved. The marketplace is a fucking mess because everybody or these companies are more concerned. And we're going to, again, this is going to play interestingly into, you know, what, what we're about to, well, our main story for this week, even though I've been talking for 40 minutes on this, there, you know, 
they're not even concerned with job creation. They are just concerned with like keeping relevant. Like they need to stay relevant, right? Like, let me give you an example. Okay. And I, I, I promise we'll move on to some other things. Okay. Some other subjects. Here's an example. About 20 years ago. Uh, yeah, I'd say maybe about 20 years ago. There was a big push. This is that corporatism for you. There's a big push to get rid of lead paint. Is lead paint a bad thing? You bet your ass. Not, no argument from me on that. Okay. But there was a big push to legally, it wasn't just a market mechanism of where Kenner or Hasbro or whoever, whatever major toy company or whatever toy company could come out and say, Hey, we, you know, buy our toys because we don't use lead paint. Unlike the other guy. Now, you know what they did? They lobbied though. In fact, those companies were part of this lobby. The big toy companies, the big ones, they lobbied to make lead paint illegal. Why? Because it was to bait. I mean, you, to not, to stop using, you can't just stop using lead paint and in your production process, just switch it out and start using something else. Okay. The way that the, the, the laws that are the regulations that ended up getting put in place and everything, like you have to be able to afford a complete overhaul of your toy production process. Okay. So, you know, Kenner, Hasbro, these big toy companies, Mattel, whoever, and I know some of them are now owned by the other, but they can afford, you know, they have plenty of money to do that complete overhaul. Okay. The whole reason they were lobbying to make lead paint illegal was to kill their competition because their competition, the little guys that were starting to make inroads and everything and taking them on, they can't afford to completely redistribute, you know, or uh, like recreate or, you know, redo their production process. They can't. And that's the reality that this is corporatism. This is where, you know, that, that, that unholy alliance we talk about all the time on the show where governments and companies and, you know, big business, they work together for mutual aims. And those mutual aims usually fuck with the small business person and the consumer. And these companies will just lie, cheat, and steal to stay in business. Not necessarily keep jobs going. Okay, I, I, I think I said it that way earlier. I just mean staying in business. They will do whatever the fuck it takes. And they will fuck, you know, their, the employee. They will fuck the consumer. They don't care. They just have to keep justifying their fucking existence. Okay. And keep growing and growing and growing. Now, what, what, what that obsession is with growth, I don't know. Like I, I, I'm still trying to figure that part out, but bottom line, I want you to take a good hard look, whether you're holding one in your hands or not. I want you to take, try this out. This is a mental experiment. Remember, I, I always talk about the galactic, having the galactic perspective, right? Think big on this. I want you to look at the iPhone 11, be it looking at the specs or whatever online, or if you actually happen to be in an Apple store or whatever and hold one. And consider what does a device like that say about, about a society? What does it say about that society? And if that is one of the most coveted things, and I would argue, and, and if you disagree with me, fine, but I think that a lot of people covet 
an iPhone 11, especially the Pro Max, I'm sure, okay? What does that say about them? Like, what is what this device can do, et cetera, et cetera? What does it say? Now, I don't, yes, is it technologically advanced? Is it remarkable that we can get silicon down, you know, to that level and to do those things? Sure, it says those sorts of things. But as far as the use, that's the rub. We're going to have a conversation about quantum computers in an upcoming episode because we need to talk about, everybody's talking about, oh, it says, Google has this, these, this many qubits, IBM has this many qubits, and no one's talking about quantum usefulness, which is a whole other conversation to have. But I want you to consider the use case and the usefulness and look at it and say, what does this say about civilization? And I wonder what conclusions you would come to. And I wonder if they would, if even half of them would be good. Because they're not when I look at it. Anyway, um, why don't we get into, well, I don't know if we're going to get into a story of the week at this point. Uh, there's so much I want to get into here. But let's quick, let's talk about something that's actually useful. Here you go. Here's some usefulness for you. Here's something that's pro-consumer, baby. Sovereign Tech Sponsor, boy. Getting hard enough for you? <laughs> when it's time to get in the sack. You know, actually, boy, yesterday. Not to get too personal. <laughs> but yesterday, it felt like I was going all night long. Orgasm after orgasm. What was making it happen? What was keeping the Golden Stallion rock hard? We're talking about Blue Chew, baby. And that's blue, like the color blue, B-L-U-E. It's the blue pill and chew because it's chewable. In fact, it's the first chewable of its type. That's right. It uses the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know it works. Blue Chew. I want you to go to bluechew.com. B-L-U-E Chew, C-H-E-W, dot com. Again, that's bluechew.com. Here's the beauty if you go there, okay? And look, this isn't, you know, this isn't just for if maybe, you know, maybe downstairs it's not getting hard and ready as quickly as it used to. This is if you're already rocking and you just want to rock some more. You want to improve that performance, right? Blue Chew's there for you. Bluechew.com. You're going to go there. You don't have to go to a doctor's office. None of that. Everything gets handled right on the website. Everything's discreet. And if you use the code TECH, T-E-C-H. If you use that code, you will get your first order of Blue Chew for free. You only have to pay $5 shipping, but use that code TECH. Again, you want to frequent them. They are supporting the independent voice that is Sovereign Tech, so support them. And they are here to support you, baby. And let me tell you, they are. Woo! BlueChew.com. B-L-U-E Chew.com. Use that code TECH. And we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. All right, so um, I'm going to call a bit of an audible. I had a story that I was going to get into for our story of the week, which kind of played into what we're talking about. But since you're going to get these episodes back to back, I'm actually going to push that off to another episode. Um, so what I do want to talk about quick, though, is something that in a, I think might have been episode 341 uh, of Sovereign Tech, where we talked about, or maybe it was 340, where we talked about uh, the Forbes piece, where the guy found out that basically Google knew who his grandfather was and his grandfather was somebody who'd never been on the internet and there was no reason for, like he could not discover a reason why Google would know. And I had asked uh, Sovereign Tech listeners, like if you have thoughts on this or if you know something I don't, let me know. And uh, of course my brother, whoo, my man, Rob, he uh, he answered the call. He was of course my, my co-host uh, on TIE Fighter Renegades and other shows on Zomia 1. Um, but he sent me in and, and I mean, I've known 
you know, ever since Google became Alphabet, right? And really, let, let's be clear here, Alphabet is still really just Google, uh, despite, again, we talked about this when it happened years ago, uh, that really Larry Page just wanted to create his own like little mini competitive Silicon Valley, uh, you know, but it's just a parent company for all this stuff, but they're really all the same. Okay. And they're all still at the end of the day, Google, even though they say, Oh, Niantech spun out. Oh, uh, YouTube spun out and no, no, they're, they're all sharing the same data and everything. One of the companies that came out of the alphabet parent company charge was one called Coleco and or Calico. Calico, right? That's like the Coleco vision. I shouldn't call it that, but Calico. Uh, Calico is a company that is interested in, well, fighting aging, the aging process, trying to make people live longer. Now, one of the ways that they were able to, or one of the things, one of their initial acquisitions, um, not acquisitions, but that they were able to cut a deal with to get access to was the genetic database from Ancestry, the company, you know, Ancestry.com. And Rob might be totally right on this, that 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 could be where they got that info. Um, So this is just a little follow up to that Forbes piece that we talked about a couple episodes ago. Okay, Uh, and I thought that that was very interesting that Google might have a lot of information, even on people that never touch the Internet, partly because of what others have inputted into Ancestry.com. So that's a possibility. The other thing that he brought up, and I thought that this was particularly insightful Brilliant and very possible is that, and I mean, he might have even been saying this half in jest, but I I think it's something to really consider. Uh, And that is, is that maybe Google somehow has access to the Mormon database. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's a very weird, and I know I have Mormon listeners. Um, So, you know, I'm just going to say it, but it's this. Mormons are really, really big on having all of that ancestral information. I mean, they're really big on that, but that's because they're big on like, praying over the dead or praying for the dead and all this other stuff. And anyway, I'm, I'm not going to get into a theological thing here. If I got a little bit of that off, uh, that's not the conversation I want to have. But regardless, the Mormon database is a very, very, and I mean, I remember hearing about it, you know, well before Google existed and people were creeped out then, you know, because it's like, oh, they're like really tracking who's related to who, you know, like they have this really amazing uh, ancestral data. Uh, you know, and, and family tree style data, uh, and including for lots of people that were never, have never been to a Mormon church, probably never even been near a Mormon church, but they want to know and they have pictures and everything. I mean, it's, it would be a pretty impressive database to get your hands on. And I would not be surprised. And I don't think it would be too much of a leap. A, I think the U.S. government has access to that Mormon database, partly because a lot of Mormons, not all, a lot of Mormons are very pro-government, and a lot of them, Mitt Romney, go down the list, are in government. I mean, you know, much of the U.S. government reads like a who's who of Mormons. Uh, and for Google to be able to say, you know, to the government, okay, hey, we'll hand you this data, you give us this data, again, that's more of that corporatism. Oh, I, I could totally see that handshake happening. So that, that, that would be very interesting. But those are a couple of interesting points to look at. Again, I, like I said, we're going to be keeping an eye on this story because, I mean, again, you know, the Mormon database people used to find creepy. This is 10 times worse as far as what Google has. So we'll, we'll talk more about that later. Anyway, um, why don't we take a quick break and then we will come back 
And, uh, well, we got some Bitcoin stuff to talk up. In fact, uh, from a, also from a listener uh, that I, I think is really, really salient and really important to dis- and beautiful, actually, that, that we'll talk about. And then uh, we got a little bit of a conversation around the 40th anniversary of Star Trek The Motion Picture. I'll be right back with more Woo! Sovereign Tech. Hey, if you have a project that needs reliable cryptocurrency data, check out BlockTap.io. BlockTap.io is a universal cryptocurrency API. You can get historical prices for Bitcoin and other digital assets that you can use to build charts and do market analysis. Blockchain data is also indexed, so you can get transaction statistics, address balances, and more for Bitcoin and other networks. BlockTap.io is free for personal use, and you don't even need to create an account to access the API. To get started, try some of the example queries on the homepage at BlockTap.io. Again, that's B-L-O-C-K-T-A-P.io, BlockTap.io, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Woo, let's get back to the show. This Week in Blockchain. Yeah, you know, that Calico deal, that was that was back in like 2015, I think, when that was initially announced. Um, as far as dealing with Ancestry.com, I mean, crazy. Anyway, uh, you know, if you want to talk about any of this stuff, or maybe you want to go and complain about anything that the Golden Stallion happened to say, first of all, feel free to email me, bbs at SovereignTech.com, if you, or, you know, direct message me on Twitter or message me openly on Twitter. I don't care. Um, just at SovereignTech on Twitter. Talk to me. You know, I am op- I am literally open to my mind being changed or to new information where suddenly I go, oh, actually, Apple is so goddamn pro-consumer. It's amazing. Like, wow, I am I'm I'm so wrong. I mean, I really could. I could be convinced of that. I, I'm not going to say it's not a challenge, but I'm open to it. Unlike a lot of other people who are very well, I think it's pretty clear they're very closed minded individuals. Anyway, um, if you want to talk about all this stuff or talk about how I'm wrong and how I frustrated you, perhaps why don't you go ahead and you can call into freetalklive.com. Believe me, they would. I think they'd get a kick out of somebody calling into their show complaining about me. <laughs> I really do. Uh, but uh, yeah, freetalklive.com, Sovereign Tech Sponsor. You are talking about the number 27 talk show in the United States. Can you get much bigger? And you can call in because it's an open phone show and you can talk about whatever the hell you want to talk about. And you can go to their website and get... They go seven, they do episodes seven nights a week, three hours a night, and you can download all those for free. And they've been going for over a decade. Man, you want something to listen to if you're not getting enough Sovereign Tech? Go check out Free Talk Live. I thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Now, somebody that did direct message me, uh, and a person I just have a bunch of tremendous respect for. Uh, holy shit, do I. And I think that this is well worth discussing. And it is in reference to uh, recent episodes past couple episodes, actually, of Sovereign Tech, I think. So I'll read it here. I'll leave them anonymous, but I'll, I'll, I'll read it here. I generally do that unless you want me to say who you are. Uh, and I want to talk about this because I think it's important. So, and again, we are in our, uh, you know, our blockchain segment of the show. So this fits right in with that. Brian, here it is. Brian, after listening to your last two episodes, I wanted to share a thought that I hope you will mention on your show at some point in the near future. Well, here I am doing so. Reading on. While I agree with you that the wants of consumers and producers are fundamentally oppositional in a data-driven world. Okay, Stanley, breaking it in for a second. This is a point I was talking about over the past couple episodes that, you know, we're talking, 
this episode, we've been talking about how like manufacturers like Apple and so on, how what they are trying to do is not pro-consumer. What advertisers, the, the, the goals, okay, the wants of advertisers are fundamentally at odds with the desires, say like privacy of consumers. Okay. And, and, and even, uh, producers here. So, which he points out. So, I mean, like, again, it's just painting this bigger picture. Everything is just so fucked up, uh, in our market today. Anyway, reading on. So while I agree with you that the wants of consumers and producers are fundamentally oppositional in a data-driven world, I think that one day soon, many will realize we can use Bitcoin. Here's the key. Here's the, here it is. Here it is. Ready? We can use Bitcoin as the internet itself thus allowing for both sides of the equation to benefit without the involuntary use of personal data, all while maintaining the incentivization necessary to drive innovation and growth. Folks, go back and listen to episode 340 and 341 of Sovereign Tech. Okay, so you can really catch up with what we're talking about here. But we got this conversation has to continue, has to keep going on. Reading on. Every month I see more projects like cell phones, lightning network, and satellite slash radio systems, which are attempting to use blockchain technology. While most of these chains are bullshit, using Bitcoin itself as the network for data propagation should truly solve this issue in the long run. All we need to do is be patient and demand it. BTC, that's what he means when he says Bitcoin, real Bitcoin, BTC is coming. Keep doing what you're doing. Fuck the Sinister Six. Woo, right on. So thank you. And thank you for sending this in because I am totally on board with this. Now, we actually talked about this in a recent Q&A on the Zomi One Underground. Uh, again, if you want to join that, go to zomi1.com and you can get access to that content. Uh, we were talking about, in fact, I read this on there, uh, but we were talking about this a bit. Now, I used to have a sponsor. Uh, they're called Horizon now, but they used to be called Zencash. And I had Rob Viglioni on. Uh, from Zencash or Horizon. And this is, I don't know, maybe a couple years ago now. Or a little over a year ago now, I guess. And I, we were talking about what he's trying to do with Zencash and everything. Of course, Zencash, you know, is kind of a fork of, kind of a fork, I say, of Zcash. Kind of. He uses ZK Snarks just like Zcash does. It just, it does different things. Anyway, um... What they were trying to do, and, and, I, and I said it in the interview, and you can go back to the episode and listen to it, and you'll hear me say it. It's like, it sounds like you're trying to turn Zencash basically into its own internet. And Rob Viglioni said, yeah, we'd love for it to get to that point to where it could do that. And this is similar. Now, while I am in the same boat where or I am, and I talked about this in the Q&A, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist, but I sound like one. And because I am so supportive of Bitcoin and Bitcoin is just the thing that cannot be stopped. And I am never worried. And I've talked about this in recent episodes as well. I am never worried about Bitcoin's value. I don't care if it drops from 3000, 10,000 does whatever. It's always going to be needed and it's always going to be in use in the world we live in today. Okay. Um, I can't say that for most of the other blockchains out there. I can't say that for the shit coins, for a lot of the altcoins. I'm not saying they're all bad, but I'm also not saying they're all good or that maybe even any of them are. Bitcoin is king and it's going to be so for a long time, if not for a very long time. 
I, I mean, I just, I don't see, you know, again, kind of like what he's talking about here. So just to be clear on that, but if Bitcoin wants to end up doing that, kind of what I had said was Zencash and which I've talked about over the years and hinted at that, again, we want multiple internets, right? And, and I, again, it's an old saying of mine in people. It was so funny. The first time I said it, I had people like messaging me on Twitter or not messaging, but like they're tweeting at me saying, internets, what are you, some, are you stupid? Blah, blah. No, no, no. I literally mean plural internet. We don't want just one. Now, if Bitcoin wants to become, you know, this where, yeah, where smartphones, I mean, it's a lot of test betting right now, you know, like with HTC, what they're doing as far as with working with blockchains and smartphones and everything, uh, or, you know, taking cryptocurrencies seriously in their smartphones. I mean, we've, we've reviewed those and we've talked about those on this show. That's not really getting to the place that I think uh, this listener and I are talking about. But is it a step in that direction? Yeah, it might be paving some of the way to where we can get to this. But yeah, if the Bitcoin blockchain, thanks to Lightning Network and, you know, and, and other, shall we say, add-ons, if that could effectively become the provable, you know, if that could become the network, right? A peer-to-peer -peer network constantly proving itself, securing with privacy and incentivizing through it being the network, it being the transmission of data, as well as the value of the data within the network itself, right? Because remember, that's that's the old uh, the old metaphor uh, or analogy for Bitcoin is that it's it's the U.S. dollar and PayPal in one. It's a very simple way of explaining it, but it's that. So if it were the internet, and if the data was the same thing as the money, to where it creates a new type of incentivization, not to where you want to know, you need to know like the very, the hyper specifics of the data, but just having the data itself is effectively the money. Oh yeah. I mean, th th like that, that completely changes our relationship with, or, or the incentives around the concept of a internet, right? Because one of the reasons was episode 340, it was called the mistake where we we're talking about maybe the internet is just completely wrong. Like the whole concept is just wrong. Bitcoin being the internet, being the transmitter and the money at the same time might create a far more amenable connective tissue, communication layer, interconnected world than what the internet that we have today does. Now, I don't want there to just be Bitcoin, but I want that to be one of them. That again, if we, I, I really think we need to have multiple internets and I think that Bitcoin could certainly be one of those. I mean, I'm definitely, over the years, I've been in the camp where, like, I was a big supporter of colored coin, okay, where you just do very, very simple tricks, say, wallet side or clients, yeah, we'll say client side, okay, you know, with a wallet instead of, like, actually making changes to the Bitcoin uh, protocol itself. I've been a little more supportive of that, but even that could be done this way. But, yeah, I mean, if this kind of thing was added into Lightning Network and, you know, you had other areas where Bitcoin basically just becomes the, yeah, I mean, it becomes the the peer-to-peer -peer database, improvable database that powers, again, to just to call it the, the, you know, colloquially, the interconnected world. Oh, I think it's a fantastic idea. I'm totally on board with that. And do we need to demand it? Yes, absolutely. We need to demand it. And we need a blockchain that is going to lead the way. 
And for it to, to suggest it to be Bitcoin, yeah, sure. You know, I mean, I'm also, admittedly, I am open to, like, Litecoin trying out a lot of this stuff first. That's always been my argument for why I thought Litecoin was a great idea. Because you had a blockchain that had value, also has, you know, a track record, has history, it's been around, right? Where you could test out new ideas. And you could have people that are, I mean, it's like the beta channel for, for Bitcoin. And I think that that's a fine and dandy uh, reason to exist, in my opinion. And, and test that out there. And then if it works there, implement it into Bitcoin. You know, uh, have them both at all times, like running and, and let them both have the value. Like, I, I, I think that's that's totally, totally fine and dandy, you know, to, to have that sort of that sort of setup. But this idea of ultimately the Internet becoming peer to peer and sure, using blockchain technology to allow for that, using Lightning Network, that way people don't ha maybe don't have to store uh, entire copies of the blockchain, or at least so many people don't have to have entire copies of the Bitcoin blockchain and so on. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, really, this could go places. This is one possibility of how you could do the internet better. Just significantly, significantly better. And I think it's a really, I, I love the idea. I think it's fantastic. There, there's, there's no reason not to try this, not to go forward with this. In fact, we were talking about how the Gram, that's been in a recent episode, where Telegram is supposedly, they, they, the argument is, is that I think by the end of, was it the end of October that they have to come out with the Gram or they have to give money back to their investors? Telegram, I think, was effectively shooting for this, even in their like white paper or what chalked up for a white paper for them when they were uh, offering the Gram you know, where, where Telegram as an app is going to have its own cryptocurrency is that they were eventually going to use it to have an entire peer-to-peer -peer internet. Great. Let Telegram do that too. Okay. Or let it be the test bed for this whole concept. I, I think it's a fantastic look at the future. Uh, very insightful. And yeah, it's something we have to demand and talk about. And that's why we need to argue and, you know, keep raising the flag wherever we can saying we need multiple internets. I think that's the first hurdle you got to get people over is you have to get them to, you know, to get to this point where Bitcoin could be the internet, okay, is you got to get people, you got you got to get them considering that the internet we have right now is fucked up and might be a mistake. And at the very least, we should try more internets and we should try connecting the world in different ways. We got, so arguing for more internets and that term, that plural term internets needs to become more and more commonplace. Okay. The, I hate, what was it? Is it big bang theory? I think they're the ones that turned internets into some like Southern, you know, they tried to turn it into, and Southern people aren't stupid folks, but, but you get my point. They, they tried to turn it into some like, uh, uh, display of quote unquote Southern stupidity that Hollywood is so obsessed with. Um, we got it. We got to get it past that to where internets is an absolute term. It's an absolute thing. It needs to become a reality. And we got to explain to people why it needs to be, why it needs to become a reality. Now, something I'm not going to be able to get to in this episode, um, is Simjacker, which I will get into in the next episode. Okay. But this is Simjacker is another area where pointing at, holy shit, like the way that our mobile networks are set up which are backbone on the internet are terribly flawed and have been for decades. Okay. We're, we'll talk about Simjacker in the next episode, but it's, it's another one of those stories 
where we can start hopefully convincing people, hey, we need more than one. We need internets. We need more than one way of communicating with each other. We need, you know, we need alternatives to the big bad internet. Okay. And again, in the future, can it be Bitcoin? And and look, with Bitcoin, I do think a lot of it's a waiting game. Okay. I mean, I, I firmly believe that and I've believed that for a long time. Uh, part of the reason that myself, uh, Tim Draper also, where I was confident, I don't like to predict prices, but there's times where I feel pretty confident about it. One of the reasons that back in like 2013 or 2014 even, that Tim Draper, myself and others, and I think a lot of us spoke up pretty independently. I only talked about what Tim Draper said because he reiterated what I had said months or weeks previous. Um, that, you know, come 2017, we would be looking at $10,000, $20,000 Bitcoin. We were saying is because right now you have a lot of companies who are building the infrastructure and they're going to be ready at that point. Okay, like they're going to start rolling out at that point. That's still going on. And so when you get predictions, say from Tim Draper or whoever, that, you know, come 2022, 21, something like that, that you could be, or, you know, maybe a year or so off from there, that you could be looking at quarter million dollar, uh, you know, quarter million dollars per Bitcoin. That's part of where that prediction is coming from. A, it comes from problems within the economy, particularly maybe the American economy itself, but then also that, there are companies and they're still coming and they're still getting funded where they are working on projects that are attached to Bitcoin specifically. And that that's why they feel confident saying it's going to have this value because once the infrastructure is there and people really see the use case, the value is going to go through the roof. And folks, I, I can't even begin to predict if Bitcoin became, you know, the internet or an internet, one or the other, I can't even begin to predict the value of what it would be then, because then it's literally what connects the world. How, how much more valuable besides time could something become? So it's a very exciting prospect. And I agree with this listener's optimism. Um, that's why, you know, I mean, I, I love talking about blockchain every week. Uh, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm skeptical about that. There's always that kind of great news going on because a lot of this stuff I feel like is happening underneath, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of underground. Okay, uh, it's a meta, almost a meta layer of developments, you know, within within all the tech, technological developments that you see. But it's the real stuff. It's not three cameras on an iPhone 11. This is fundamentally changing the way that we monetize, incentivize, and connect with each other, between each other. And there's nothing bigger, not on this planet anyway. So anyway, very exciting. I totally agree with you. The idea of Bitcoin becoming the internet. I mean, I've wanted blockchain to go this route for a long time. If it's Bitcoin, dynamite, if, you know, something else like Litecoin uh, or, I mean, it's tough because you know that the reason that a lot of altcoins get developed, I mean, there's blockchains that are doing very legitimate, quote unquote, legitimate real things, you know, with like, uh, uh, food distribution and a lot of this other stuff. I mean, that, that, that's not even, I mean, it's part of the equation, but that's not even really part of the equation. Okay. Most people are concerned about altcoins. The reason a lot of altcoins get developed are for, you know, literally lining the pockets of some would be developer. Okay. And it has nothing to do with actually being like, we've been talking about this whole episode. It has nothing to do with being pro consumer. It has nothing to do with actually bringing like something beautiful into the world. 
Bitcoin is one of those things that brought something beautiful into the world, was the most pro-consumer technology probably ever, because it finally gave you the, the capability as to where the rest of Silicon Valley is trying to keep you from owning things and get you stuck in rent-seeking. Bitcoin was actually letting you hold value within the auspices of the world that we live in today to hold value that didn't that that came from a permissionless environment that didn't come from okay because the government says it has value or because some asshat company or corporation says it has value or whatever it had value because it had usefulness right out of the gate it was the transmitter and the value the money at the same time so anyway if it wants to become the internet Thumbs up from me. <laughs> let, let, let's do this. Anyway, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. Uh, we got some, we got a fun subject to get into. And then uh, don't worry, you have more Sovereign Tech coming out throughout the weekend. And uh, anyway, I'll be right back with more. Woo! In 2014, he ran from Miami to San Francisco, raising awareness for Bitcoin and the homeless epidemic in America. And now he's doing it again. Blockchain evangelist and advocate for homeless rights, Jason King, is running across North America right now, from Miami to Santa Monica, right now. Five years later, his commitment to promoting blockchain technology and fighting the homeless epidemic in America is stronger than ever. And you can help Jason now by going to blockchainacrossamerica.com. While you're there, donate to Satoshi Forest Sanctuary Incorporated to help the homeless, along with all kinds of other ways you can help. Get involved today blockchainacrossamerica.com that's blockchainacrossamerica.com The Climax It is time for the Climax, where I can talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. And frankly, I want to talk about something I did actually last Sunday, um, which I guess, what, what would be the date on that last Sunday? That would be the 14th? Uh, or no, I'm sorry, that'd be the 15th. Sun September 15th, 2019, the world, basically, <laughs> or at least the United States, celebrated the 40th anniversary of the release of Star Trek, the motion picture. Now I was going to preface that because I want you to understand, even though, okay, technically that movie came out December 7th, 1979, but fine. If you want to celebrate in September. Okay. But understand that for me, uh, and I have said this for, well, basically my whole life because Star Trek, the motion picture is the first movie that I can really remember seeing end to end, like that I saw the whole thing. It's basically like between that and short circuit, I guess. <laughs> no, but I remember, and I watched it over and over again. I mean, I watched it when I was like five and I remember I have, it's, I have such a vivid memory around the first time I saw that movie and my dad recorded it. He, we, we were one of the families that very early on had a VCR, um, an actual, you know, VHS VCR, not Betamax. 
we were one of the very early families to have those. And we, you know, we recorded and, and it was on a Saturday night, you know, Sabbath ended, right? Jewish family, Sabbath ended. And we recorded Star Trek, the motion picture, watched it at a movie night. I was a very, very little guy. And my mind was fucking blown. This movie, if I, so I have a rule with, you know, when I like to rank things, I'm, I'm big on that. Uh, my, so I have a rule with movies that if it's part of a series, okay, if it's like a franchise, I can't say it's my favorite movie because the argument goes is that, well, you really need more to understand why this movie's so good. Like you need to know who Captain Kirk is. You need to know who Mr. Spock is and so on. Even though I think you probably could get away with just starting watching this. It certainly wouldn't hold the, it wouldn't hold your imagination and your attention as much if you know, you didn't know who these characters were. Okay. And I have been watching Star Trek, you know, the original series. I've been watching it since before there was the next generation. Um, I mean, my, my dad like watched it all the time and I can remember, um, yeah, watching it like all the time. And to this day, I still watch the original series over and over again. In fact, Ellen and I, we have been rewatching. We're in the third season right now. We've been rewatching the original series, um, over the past few months. We also, we went together to go see uh, the 40th anniversary presentation of Star Trek Motion Picture. Anyway, so if it's part of a franchise, I can't call it my favorite film. So right now I list off Gladiator as my favorite movie. Now, supposedly Ridley Scott is making Gladiator 2, so I might have to change what my favorite movie is after that. If I didn't have that, that franchise rule, Star Trek The Motion Picture would be consistently for as far back as I can remember, would consistently be, in my opinion, the greatest movie ever made. It would be my favorite film. I think it is a fucking masterpiece. Uh, it is the very reason, or it is the, the you know, people talk about like the uh, Carl Sagan's, and Carl Sagan's, thank you, Carl Sagan's Cosmos, as being the reason, like this is the best that television can do. This is, if you had an argument, why should television exist? You would hand people cosmos and say, this is why television needs to exist. And I wouldn't argue with you. And I don't think many would. I think cosmos absolutely is the ultimate presentation of what serialized television can be. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's serialized, but of what like episodic television, that's what I mean to say. Episodic. I think that, like, what is the epitome of what a film can be, of what, what the, the concept of a motion picture, which is ironic that it's in this movie's name. I mean, there's re of course, it makes sense why it's in the name, but you, you get my point. This is the epitome of what a motion picture can be, in my opinion. The music, the, uh, you know, like, the, everything about it, everything is on the scale of being on the biggest screen you could possibly fucking find, and it is visually beyond stunning. I mean, this is, nobody argues that this isn't a stunning film. In fact, some people argue that it's too stunning. Like, it, it spends too much time showing off. I, t I disagree with that, but I, I understand the argument, you know, around with this film. But I, I really, I think this is, this is as good as it gets. And it's funny, considering that, now the reason that it's called, of course, Star Trek The Motion Picture is because this was, to most people's memory, the first time that a television show had leapt onto the big screen. Now that's totally commonplace, but they used to be a non-existent or a rare event. This was one of the, like, if, this is the first, if not one of the first times that that had ever happened, where a television show had been such a big deal that it ended up becoming, you know, it ended up 
translating to the big screen. Um, so anyway, that just so you understand, that's how much I love this movie. So I know I'm biased. Okay, I, I, I totally, totally recognize this. But uh, directed by Robert Wise, of course, who had done Fiddler on the Roof and so on. I mean, just a fantastic director. A uh, lot of different writers involved. Of course, Star Trek The Motion Picture ended up had a very tumultuous production for varying reasons. Uh, but one of them being is that Paramount couldn't really decide what they wanted to do. Uh, I mean, this came out of the fervor by movie studios or by production studios to have a response to Star Wars. No doubt about that. But there's an argument that, okay, wait, should we bring Star Trek back as a TV show? Oh, no, actually, we'll make it a movie. Oh, we'll make it a TV show, make it a movie. I mean, it went back and forth, and that was part of the troubled production um, of this film. So, but it ended up becoming the film that we, that, that many people know today. Now, it does have the, again, people say that it spends too much time on the visuals. People claim that it's boring, blah, blah, blah. I disagree really with all of that. Um, but I want to talk about, okay, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, maybe why I think this movie is great, but I want to talk about this. It is, a, you know, this 40th anniversary. It is amazing to me that this is getting any kind of respect because of the generally, like there's an old, there's an old saying or an, an old idea, cultural meme actually, that is, that has been around since Star Trek, the motion picture, or really since Star Trek two and maybe Star Trek three is that the odd numbered Star Trek movies are always bad. They say it's like a curse, but the even numbered Star Trek movies like two, four, six, uh, first contact going on are, they're the great ones. Of course, people I think would argue that nemesis wasn't a great, uh, you know, that's the 10th one, but that, that wasn't, most people don't consider that a great movie. I liked it a lot, but anyway, um, that's bullshit because Star Trek three is amazing. If there's any Star Trek movie better than Star Trek one, I think it's Star Trek three. And also my favorite uh, next generation film is Star Trek insurrection. So actually I think the best movies oftentimes are actually the odd numbered ones. They're, they're all good, frankly. I mean, more or less. So I, and I, I know the deal around five, but we're, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, talk about that here, but because of that, because of the stigma that exists around this film, I am amazed that it's getting any kind of 40th anniversary uh, release, you know, or that it's getting any kind of celebration because it's not only this. So there's talks now of that they're going to do, they, they might do a, a, a Blu-ray or a 4K release of the director's cut, which was, I think that came out in 09, uh, which was the 30th anniversary of this movie. But that was great. I have the, the DVD of that because I think it's so, so well done. Now, what was shown in theaters? Here's another problem with Star Trek The Motion Picture, okay? This is a movie that you can watch over and over again because there's a good bet that whatever venue you're watching it in, it might be a different movie than you remember. And it could literally be a different movie than you remember. There are about four or five three big ones, but there's about four or five different versions of Star Trek, the motion picture. There is the version that was in theaters in 79. Then there's the version that aired on television. And that was also, I think that same one was what got released on VHS, which was called the special longer version. And then there is the 2009 director's cut that has so far only been released on DVD. I think maybe at the time they did a sh like a, a special showing of it in a theater in California somewhere, but otherwise that's never seen like a wide release. Um, this would be the second time that I have seen Star Trek, the motion picture in theaters. 
the first time was I saw it like at a movie night at a local theater in upstate New York. And that was the same edition that I saw this time, which is basically the original 79 version. It's not the special longer version that was on the VHS and it's not the uh, director's cut, which is out on DVD. This is the, basically the, the version that was in theaters. Now there's, and there's easy ways to tell, like there's this, there's specifically, there's a scene where Chekhov gets his hand burned um, off of his tactical console. And Yuhura calls for doctor, because she's a doctor now, Dr. Chapel, not Nurse Chapel, but Dr. Chapel to come up and take care of him. And in the special longer version, as far as I know, this is the only one that has this in it, even though like the DVD and Blu-rays might have, you know, deleted scenes where you can watch this, but it's not like in the actual film. Um, you have where Ilea, who's a Delton, she's not human, she's a Delton, right? The bald woman. She walks up to my favorite species, by the way, in Star Trek. Uh, she walks up, and if you read about them, you'll know why. She, you'll instantly know why. Um, they don't need blue chew. <laughs> um, but she walks up to, uh, you know, to check off. And she says, I can stop his pain. And she like touches his shoulder and the pain that he feels from his burning hand stops. And then Dr. Chapel sprays it with something and it goes on. That part where Ilea stops his pain is not in the theatrical version. It's also not in the director's cut. But it is in the special longer version. In the theatrical cut, you'll see where Doctor Chapel, to give her, you know, to have her give her something to do, I guess. Uh, they they have her like where she sprays his hand, but that's all that you see. You know, like that that scene is really really cut down. That's one of the easy ones to to point at as far as what's there. Really, any version of this movie that you see is stunning. All of them are visually stunning, and they all basically follow the same narrative. There's nothing that really changes what's happening um myself i am very used to watching the director's cut and i still think that's the ultimate version of this film i am very used to watching the director's cut and i like to watch the director's cut because in the director's cut you actually get to really see viger i think viger is and and to some degree maybe this could be a scene as a positive for some but viger is way too mysterious you never really see what the ship looks like or anything like that if you watch the theatrical or special longer version Okay, in the director's cut, they add in scenes where you get to see more of the ship, and you get to add, even at one point when it explodes, you get to really see its entirety. Um, so it was very interesting for me to go see this movie on its 40th anniversary, because now I am seeing it in its original presentation form on the big screen, and I'm seeing it to where I have a better idea of when they're going through a lot of the visuals, like when they're flying around V'ger, and that's exactly what they're doing, I have a better understanding now of what exactly they're doing, what the Enterprise is flying around and all this, and like now it all makes a lot more sense. I could see where people thought that like a lot of the really long visual shots, especially around V'ger when they're flying through V'ger, where it didn't make any sense to them. It didn't make any sense to me either, but I still thought it was just so fucking mind-blowing I didn't care. But now the movie makes a lot more sense to me, and definitely seeing it in theaters this time adds to the grandeur now that I know what V'ger looks like. The other reason I know what V'ger looks like is the Eagle Moss, which they've been coming out with, you know, little pre-built models, uh, die-cast, or I should say, they're not models, but die-cast versions of Star Trek ships over the past five, six years. Um, they 
Earlier this year, they came out with a model of V'ger or a die cast of V'ger. And so you finally got to see what V'ger really looked like. And now I, and I have it, I'm, you know, here in my, you know, in my makeshift studio looking up and I see it and you can really, I mean, now I have a really great idea. And so that scene is just far more beautiful uh, this time around. So this is something Ellen and I ended up catching. Uh, it was a fairly packed theater, especially for New Hampshire, frankly. So again, I'm amazed that people have really changed their minds and they've, and, and I think this speaks to that this movie feels very authentic and it's very, it clearly didn't go through a lot of focus groups. You know, as troubled as the production was, and as far as like, well, who actually wrote it? Was it Alan Dean Foster? Was it Harold Livingston? You know, who's really on board with this? It still ended up being like such a wild concept because at the time, the studios, this is my theory, at the time, studios had no idea what to do. Like, they, like they, they didn't understand science fiction. They just wanted something to compete with Star Wars. So Gene Roddenberry and everybody involved got to sneak in a very intelligent film. And a film that's unique and trying to say something and wasn't watered down by going through a million focus groups like a Marvel movie does. So I think that's why a lot of people have come to love this movie, because it is something so weird and different from what exists, what comes out regularly today. So I'm not, I'm, I guess a part of me is not really surprised that people have done a real 180 on this and now they love this movie. You got to understand, and, and, Granted, Paramount is trying, or should I say CBS, which now owns Paramount again. And so it's like via, via CBS or whatever they're calling it now, or Viacom CBS. It's all now one company, um, which great, uh, kind of, but <laughs> at least Star Trek can be under one roof again. Um, you know, and the movies aren't under Paramount or under Viacom and the TV shows are under CBS. Now they're all in the same house. Um, granted, Star Trek as a franchise is, really doing everything it can to be, you know, to compete with whatever Disney is doing, frankly, with Star Wars or Marvel or whatever. So if you have an anniversary to celebrate, they're jumping on it. Um, and so I'm not surprised by that, but they're really, really going out there, like releasing the 4K or potentially releasing the 4K edition of the director's cut. That's pretty amazing to me. I mean, I was amazed that the, they did the DVD, but DVDs were, and we've had this conversation during a climax in the past on Sovereign Tech. DVDs were very, that was a very special and unique time where because the studios didn't know exactly what to do, they let the actual uh, artists who created, you know, these incredible movies and content kind of run roughshod and they just threw money at them and let them release these amazing things. And there was a time where the DVD market very much was pro-consumer. It, it was just... It was a fluke in this really muddled market that we have. Just like Star Trek Motion Picture, I think, was just as much a fluke because, again, the people who are who call the shots as far as where the money goes, they had no idea what to do, and they're just like, oh, please, just fucking do something. So, yeah, because also we're getting a re-release of the audiobook of that, that was written by, really, it was written by Alan Dean Foster, even though it was labeled as by Gene Roddenberry. Um, but we're getting a release of the 40th anniversary or for the 40th anniversary. It's on Audible. I think it's coming out October 1st. And that's a great read. Um, I am excited to have that audiobook because I love that book. Like there's so many cool ideas that either Alan Dean Foster or Gene Roddenberry, depending on who you think, that they had that didn't end up in the movie that this book just adds on to. Uh, I kind of wish the audiobook came out before the movie went back in theaters because it would be interesting to listen to the audiobook 
and then, you know, compare it with the information you have then and then watch the movie in theaters. That'd be pretty amazing. But you could just watch it at home. Um, they did do for this, you know, for this release, this 40th anniversary release. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, they did play a documentary, which is available on DVD and Blu-ray. And I think you can even watch it on YouTube. It's called The Longest Trek, which is all about the production of Star Trek, the motion picture. It's a very interesting, very short, uh, 10 some odd minutes, maybe a uh, documentary that's worthwhile. They played that ahead of time. Ellen and I went in, we sat down, we watched that. It's enjoyable. It gives you some perspective of what was going on with this film. I feel like everybody in that documentary is still very negative toward the film. Not everybody. Harold Livingston's very positive about it. He thought the movie was brilliant. And I agree with him. And again, a lot of people are coming out now, even YouTubers, you know, they have successful YouTube movie reviewing channels are coming out and saying, no, actually, this movie's pretty brilliant. Like, we really, really like this because we see that this is where, at the very least, the creative forces behind this movie got to do what they want and they weren't under the control of studio heads and whatever else. You know, or just the populace. Um, but they did bring up a very interesting point that most people don't realize is that Star Trek The Motion Picture was fucking successful. It did like $80 million, which today I think would chalk up to about $500 million, you know, if you adjust for inflation and everything. So, I mean, this is a very, very successful movie. And, you know, it does kind of point at, like, when, when you think about that, because they mentioned that in the documentary uh, that they play before the movie starts. You know, these numbers today are such bullshit. You know, I mean, I love the Fast and Furious movies, but when they're like, oh, yeah, or, you know, when a, the Avengers, when Endgame does a billion dollars and all this, it's like, okay, yeah, but then also you're really competing with, you should be competing with Gone with the Wind and, frankly, with Star Trek The Motion Picture and a lot of these other movies, because if you adjust for inflation, like these, some of these movies might have even done more money than Avengers Endgame did. You know, but it never gets talked about that way. Why? Because the studios want marketing hype for their, you know, shitty films. Um, so watching it in theaters, now I'll tell you, so Ellen's thoughts, she she gives Star Trek The Motion Picture a 9 out of 10. Now, I mean, I, I think, I, I was like, well, fuck yeah, right on. Now she watched, we watched the director's cut at home on DVD. Uh, she also, you know, but we went to theaters together and saw it. And she had a good time uh, with that. But to give that a 9 out of 10, I think it's totally worth a 9 out of 10. Uh, and actually, I mean, I give the movie myself, I give it a 10 out of 10. Um, if I remember, we were having a conversation, and it wasn't a critique, but her point, I, I remember she was saying that if you love starships, like this is your movie. Well, it just so happens I love starships, and she knows that. And that speaks, I think, to a lot of that visual stuff. But um, anyway, I, I do. I think this is an absolute 10 out of 10 film. I thought for it to get some respect, finally was a wonderful thing. If you haven't watched this movie in a long time, watch it again. You're not in high school anymore, for one. You don't have to be beholden to what everybody at Blockbuster, you know, at, at the video rental store tells you when you walk up to the desk and they give you they give you an unsolicited opinion about the movie you're grabbing. Okay. Uh, you can watch this with your own mind. And I think you'll come to the same conclusion, that you're going to see something very original, very creative. I know some people make the critique that it's really just a extended version of the original series episode, the changeling. No, it's a lot more than that. And when you consider the amount of writers that it went through who had nothing to do with the changeling. Um, yeah, I think that's a very, very unfair uh, criticism to make against this movie, but watch it again. The music is amazing. The visuals are amazing. I recommend watching the director's cut because I think that the updates that they did with a little bit of CGI that they added in, I thought really added to 
the richness of what's of the story being told, because there is a rich story being told there. Uh, I think you're going to love that. I think you're going to enjoy the, even the slowness of it, I think stands in such a contrast to movies that just seem fucking nonstop. I mean, and, and I, I can love those kinds of movies too, but where it's just over the head, action, 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 and they never have a chance to breathe. Uh, this movie has a lot of time to breathe, and I think you end up enjoying it, especially after you, if you've encountered so much modern media, modern entertainment today. Uh, it, it, it stands out. So if you haven't watched this movie again, you have a lot of opportunities now with these 40th, with this all this re-releasing going on and this conversation going on because of the 40th anniversary. I, I'm going to review the audiobook because, I mean, I've, I've already read the book multiple times. I love it, but I want to review the audiobook specifically. Um, that will be upcoming. Um, I still think the director's cut is the best way to watch this, like I said. And, I mean, you can... Do you need to go to theaters to experience it again? I think it gives it some of its grandeur, but no, you, you don't need to. If you have, you know, a fair-sized screen, that's going to get the point across at home. Um, but it's definitely something you want really good sound for, uh, because, I mean, there, there's just there's so much. It's amazing, because it's a slow movie, but then there's so much going on. Like, one of the things I never... I don't know how I never saw this, that I never saw until the second time that I saw it on the big screen and Ellen noticed it too, was there are, there's a point in the rec room where they're seeing the Epsilon nine station getting uh, destroyed by, um, by V'ger. It's closer to the beginning of the movie and they're on board the enterprise in the rec room. There's like all these people there and they're all watching this video footage, you know, and uh, uh, Shatner or, you know, Captain Kirk or Admiral actually. Well, He's wearing his Admiral uniform. He becomes captain for most of the film. Whatever. Admiral Kirk is standing on the podium, basically, there. And, you know, you look out in that crowd of Starfleet officers, you know, all in the wreck deck, and there's at least two Native American people there, you know, with, with their, you know, feathered and, and everything. It's like, oh, that's so cool, you know, because you, you go to think that, well, like Chakotay in Star Trek Voyager, well, he was the first, like, Native American character in Star Trek. No! Actually, Star Trek the Motion Picture delivered to a man and a woman. It's fantastic. I mean, it, like, there's so many little things in this movie to explore. You could freeze frame so much of it, and, and you're just you're gonna find just nuggets of gold everywhere uh, in this movie. So it was totally worth it to go see it in theaters again. Um, I am very pleased. I think it was fandom events that's setting up a lot of this stuff, where they are setting up with varying theaters, Regal and whoever else. And they're having like these movie nights that happen nationwide that people can be a part of. I've always wanted this. I know in California it was order of the day and it's been that way for decades. But in the rest of the United States, it hasn't really been a thing. I'm glad that it is now. The chance to... In fact, I'm curious what the fallout is going to be from this. You know, just like we were talking about with Bitcoin in the last segment. Where people are eventually going to realize that... You know, things don't have to be how they are with the Internet and with ads and all the shit that that there's an alternative and it could be Bitcoin. I'm kind of hope I'm trying to be hopeful that with a lot of this re-releasing of older films that's happening everywhere now, not just in California. That people might look at that and they go, well, you know, these modern movies suck and maybe they'll drop. I, maybe they won't. Maybe that won't happen. But I'm kind of hoping at the very least, maybe there'll be some kind of little grassroots thing happening where people are going to want real content. Maybe those people will make, uh, you know, real content again, and they'll become the next generation of filmmakers that get funded by somebody who's fine with, you know, 
losing a few million bucks to do a prestige film or something. So, but yeah, check out Star Trek, the motion picture again, if you haven't, uh, it's such a beautiful film. I mean, the visuals are amazing. Again, the music is absolutely amazing. The acting is top notch. When Leonard Nimoy shows up on the screen, uh, this is something, it's a conversation I haven't had yet on another show I do on Zomia one, which is sovereign Trek. But you really find out and Star Trek, the motion picture brings this to four too. Star Trek, Every iteration of Star Trek, D-Space Nine, Next Generation, Voyager, whatever, all of it, all of it, anything you can think of Star Trek, really at the end of the day, whether he's been in it or not, Star Trek is really the story of Spock. And the story of Spock, I think, is very much the story of, and we'll get into this in the Sovereign Trek, but I want to have more people to talk about it than just myself. Um, the story of Spock is really the story of, you know, humanity searching for, I think, a, a better version of itself. I really think that. And I think this movie adds to that, adds to that, that story. I think that story happened unconsciously and organically, but it has happened in Star Trek where it, it ultimately really all revolves. Like, you know, there's the old argument, you know, the, or what was it from the, the Weird Al Yankovic song, right? Like the only the only question I ever thought was hard was, do I like, uh, was who do I like better? You know, Kirk or Picard, however that lyric goes. I mean, that was an old thing. You know, I remember growing up during that. Who's better, Kirk or Picard? I think that's, that's a false, uh, false dynamic. I think the real answer is Spock is better than all of them. And this is a movie that I, I think really does add into that. And you get it, you really get a great character play of Spock. Get over the Kirk thing. Kirk's great, but get over that and recognize this is a very Spock-centric film, which really they all are. I mean, two, three, four, uh, five, yeah, still was very Spock-centric, so was six. He's the heart of all this stuff, and I think if you watch it with those eyes as well, you also encounter a great movie um, and understand that really the character of Spock, I think, has always been the exploration of the human condition, and it's also the search for, again, a, a better version of humanity. It's a beautiful thing. So Star Trek The Motion Picture, happy 40th to what is really my favorite movie of all time. Um, and what I think is just, it embodies Star Trek. You know, I, I've said this many times. It's the one movie, like people say it's boring. Why? Because nobody shot anything? Well, finally, the Federation's acting like the fucking Federation and they're not shooting first. Like they usually do, it seems. It's so beautiful. Um but yeah, I give it a 10 out of 10. Ellen gives it a 9 out of 10. We actually, she and I, we have the same, our, our next generation movie is the same, or our favorite next generation movie is the same too. Uh, Insurrection, we both love that. But uh, but anyway, both enjoyed Star Trek The Motion Picture, so maybe you would as well. Again, you get to watch it now completely independently. You're an individual now. You don't have to pay attention to what everybody else thinks about this movie. You watch it for yourself and you tell me what you think. Go ahead, if you want to, email me, bbs at sovereigntech.com, and maybe I'll read it on uh, some Q&A content. All right, that's it for this week's Sovereign Tech. So much that we covered. You got more episodes coming out over the next few days of full-on Sovereign Tech. You are getting the triple load, baby. I will see all of you on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution. Evolution.